Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I really believe that people want to have spiritual conversations. My oldest son had his wisdom teeth taken out Friday, and uh, the nurse came and got my son and took him back to the office, and uh, Carrie and I sat in the waiting room. They said it would take about 45 minutes, and all of a sudden, the doctor appeared in the waiting room. He said, I'm so glad you're here. I have a Bible question that I have been dying to know. And I was like, shouldn't you be back with, okay, go ahead. I love talking about the Bible. He can wait. And um, he asked this question. He said, I grew up Protestant. I grew up taking communion. And he said, we take communion different than Catholicism does. And I've got a bunch of questions about that. And I've been looking at that. And I've been studying that. He said, are we doing it wrong? And then we got to have a conversation about the bread and the cup right there in the doctor's office. Today, we are going to talk about the bread and the cup, how Jesus gave us communion, how he transformed a Passover meal into a spiritual reality connected with physical symbols. We're going to talk about that in our message today, especially from Luke chapter 22. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have given us your word to allow us to draw closer to you and find out who you are. We praise you that you have revealed yourself to us, not only through your prophets, through creation, through your word, but also your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who further reveals himself to us in the very act of communion. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit again to fill us up, to transform our hearts to be more like Christ, and to put us aligned with your will and on mission for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Yes, you might notice there are some things on your, on your table that maybe you haven't seen before. I do not recommend you drink the water. You will not like it. On your table should be these elements. I hope that it's all there. We have uh, unleavened bread, and we have an applesauce mixture. That is the dark brown. We have a bitter herb, which is the white uh, herb in the bowl, and green. The cup is full of salt water, and there should be an empty cup that you'll be able to use for grape juice soon. And we're going to talk about these elements as we talk about this Passover that Jesus would have had. We know Jesus probably most likely did Passover like we're going to do today because of what is written down in the Talmud and Mishnah. These were writings that came about around 200 AD, but they recorded the words of teachers that were around 100 years before Jesus. So when Jesus sat down to have a Passover meal with his disciples, he went through the simple elements that we're going to do today. Sometimes Passover is known as a Seder. Seder is a word that means order. So there is an order in the way that we're supposed to eat this. Or it might be called the Haggadah. Haggadah means telling. And so there's a big emphasis on the Passover in telling the story, the good news about how God rescued his people out of Israel. This is the story we find in, Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus sits down with his disciples and has this Passover. So we're going to have elements. Usually a Passover meal takes several hours to complete. We're just going to do some of the basics that Jesus would have done. And we're going to look at what Jesus emphasized 
and what Jesus made obvious in the retelling of this story. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, kind of starts like this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Already, Jesus has changed what they would think is going on in the Passover meal. And I'll show you one big reason why. Gamaliel, Gamaliel, Gamaliel. That was the number one Pharisee teacher that trained the Apostle Paul. We don't know a lot about him, but we have some words of his recording. And here's what he said about the Passover. He said, every Israelite, every generation of Israel should sit at Passover and remember what their ancestors went through, but not only remember, participate in what their ancestors suffered. So in the retelling of the Passover story, there was already this idea that the physical elements connected them spiritually to their ancestors in the past. And during our meal today, some of you will experience some suffering. I promise. It's in the food. But Jesus sits down and he changes it immediately. He says this. He says, I don't want you connected to a people. I want you connected to a person. And Jesus doesn't remind them of the suffering the ancestors went through. He changes it not to something that pointed to the past, but something that pointed to their future. And he said, I am going to suffer. And thus began the Passover meal with Jesus. There would be a washing of the hands. And then there will be four cups used during the Passover. Uh, the four parts of the meal are separated by four ritual cups of wine. We have grape juice on our table. And then uh, on the side, which we're not going to have if we're doing the meal, would be just regular wine that they would drink throughout the meal but weren't considered part of the ritual. We're going to use grape juice in ours. And it begins, the reason why there's four cups is because in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, God makes a promise to the Israelites. While they were in slavery, here's what he tells them. Four verbs that God says he's going to do, and this is the four parts of the meal. I, the Lord, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's a cup of sanctification, a setting apart. That's the first cup we're going to drink. I will free you from being slaves, a cup of deliverance, and, or a cup of judgment. We're going to talk about that. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to buy you back and with mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my people the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise, or the cup of salvation, or the cup of restoration. That's the fourth cup. And the first cup would go like this. Um, everybody at the table has to have a leader of the table. Traditionally, it was the father. And then that person would take the seat of honor, and they're going to do a lot of the pouring. So you're going to have to pick out who is the father at your table or who is the most important person. And you don't have to move, but traditionally, it would go like this. The leader of the table would take the most important seat, and then oldest to youngest would go around the table. If you want to get up and move into that position, you can right now. Or, most important to least important at the table. Even in the Passover, they went most important to least important, and that's important for the meal. Does anybody want to move? Okay, you do have to signify who is the, going to be the most important person at the table, because that person's going to pour the cup and go on and pour the first cup 
at your table. Some of you will have to share grape juices with other tables, so we have enough, and everybody needs to have one cup. When you have your cup poured, would you hold it up and let me know that you have it ready? You don't have to extend it all the way. Just hold it up right in front. You may have to share grape juices. If you see a table that doesn't have anybody there with them or grape juice, help them out. Share the grape juice with somebody. When you have your grape juice ready, hold it up. When you hold it up, that will tell me that you are ready to proceed with the meal. While the drinks are being poured, I just want to point out the applesauce mixture on your table has nuts. If you are a, have a nut allergy, up front, we do have an applesauce mixture without nuts. And also, if you have a gluten allergy, we do have gluten-free matzo bread, unleavened bread, up here at the front on either side, if you need gluten-free bread at your table. So the father would pour the cup, and then he would say a prayer over the cup. And the prayer goes like this. We're going to have it on the screen, and we can say it all together. Ready? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then they would say that first section, Exodus chapter 6, I will bring you out. This is the cup of sanctification. You may proceed. Now in the Passover meal... They had to drink the entire cup down and get ready for the second. You just have to take sips of yours if you want. Then there was a second cup poured. Everybody pour your second cup, or if you have some left over, you're ready. While you're pouring, I'll continue on. Luke is the only gospel that writes more than one cup. Well, we know he's having a Passover meal, so there were four. Luke records two of them. So we think when Jesus sat down and was having his Passover meal, Luke recorded what was actually going on. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks. That's the prayer we just read. He would have prayed that prayer. He gave thanks And said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then the meal would have happened. We're at the second cup now. They would pour their second cup and then remove all food from the tables. And the youngest person or the least important person would ask four questions. Now, this is, can you see where the arguments might occur Look around your table and decide who would be the least important person so they can ask the questions. Do you see why the disciples would have been arguing about who's the greatest, who's the least, and then they could go, well, I'm the oldest, no, I'm the youngest. So the youngest person in the family or the least important person would ask these four questions. It's, um, these questions are called the manishtanah. And what we're going to do is we're just going to pretend we're all five-year-old children And we're all going to ask the questions. I heard a preacher do this when he was doing this uh, symbolic meal. He just had everybody be the least important person at the table. So on the count of three, you're just going to ask the questions as if you were a five-year-old kid. You're going to be hyper. You're going to be excited. You're not going to care for the answer. You're just going to get through the questions as fast as you can because you're ready for dinner. So on the count of three, ask these questions out loud at your table. One, two, three, go. 
There's always the slow one in the family. Just teasing. And it's here the father of the table would tell the story of Israel from the time of Abraham all the way to the time of Moses. And they would start doing the elements of the meal. One of the elements is the greens, carpus. Would you take up one of the green parsley pieces and hold it up? This parsley, we're going to dip in the salt water twice that's on your table. One, two. Now that's one of the questions the kid asked. Why do we dip twice on this night? And everybody's going to eat the parsley dipped in salt water. Go right ahead and eat that. That's not delicious. In the first hour, somebody ate it and went, Bleh! The greens, carpus, means life. And it represents the life they live. And the salt water represents tears and blood because life is hard. The, since we're telling the story from Abraham to Moses, part of the story that we're talking about here, uh, the oldest account is a story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers to Egypt. It's why Israelites are in Egypt stuck in slavery, which is what the meal is about. The brothers sold Joseph into slavery and they took his coat of many colors and they tore it and they dipped it in the blood of a goat. Life is hard. That's what the story is telling us. And can't you see already, while there's a physical symbol of life with green we all recognize life is difficult. Every single one of us has shed tears. When the brothers took that coat back to Joseph's dad, he said, my son has been killed, and he wept over the death of his son. When Joseph was sold into slavery, he wasn't really killed. He was put in slavery and went to Egypt. He wept over his slavery. Later, Joseph would become head of all Egypt, second in command to the king only. And he saved Egypt from famine. Then he brought his family to live in Egypt with him. And that's how Israel, the nation of Israel, ended up in Egypt. And it's there the father would continue telling the story, answering the four questions, talking about the bitter herbs that are on your table, the lamb that they would eat later, and the matzah bread and the horoset, the sweet mixture that's on the table. Here's the story as they were in Egypt Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, several generations after Joseph, didn't remember Joseph, but all he saw were abundance of Israelites, a foreign nation in Egypt. And so he said, we need to take care of them. And so he began commanding that they would put the firstborn of all Israel, the nextborn male child to death by throwing it in the Nile. That did not deter Israelites from having children. They kept having children and they flourished, which scared Pharaoh even more. So he ordered that they make bricks for them. And in Exodus chapter 1, it says that their life... I'll read it so I won't mess it up. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives... Bitter, maror, 
with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of works in the field, all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So that describes the white, chunky herb that we're going to come back to. That's the bitter, maror. Don't eat it yet. Don't eat it yet. Then they said, even in the midst of our bitterness, there is hope. And that's where the apple mixture comes in. The hope, it represents the mortar that went in between the bricks. Even in the midst of their slavery, they still found hope. They felt like God would rescue them. And God did. He decided to send his judgment on Egypt to bring his people out in the form of ten plagues. This is kind of an interesting thing. After the the tenth plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn, the Egyptians were so upset and so scared, they forced Israel to leave as fast as possible. And God had told them this would happen. So he said, what you need to do is you need to take a lamb, and you're going to kill that lamb. You're going to put the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, on the doorpost of your home, at the top and the two sides, at the top and the two sides. And then when I come in to take the, this is the 10th plague, I will pass over the homes that have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. Well, this happened just like God said it would happen. And the Egyptians were such a hurry to get the Israelites out that they had started making bread, but they hadn't had time to knead the yeast in. And so the bread in dough form baked in their packs with no yeast. And this is where the matzah bread comes into play. And during the telling of this story, they would all recite the ten plagues, talking about their cup of deliverance. And in doing so, they would dip their finger in their wine and put one drop on the matzah bread for each of the plagues. We're going to do that. We can pretend like we were telling the story. We get to the plague story, and here's what we're going to do. We're just going to have the list on the screen, and we're going to go through, and I'm going to say the number, and you tell me what plague it is and put a drop on your bread. Number one plague, blood. Number two, frogs. Number three, say it out loud, gnats. Number four, flies. Number five, death of livestock. Number six, boils. Number seven, hail. Number eight, locusts. Number nine, darkness. At this point, we have the second cup poured ready. We need to experience the bitterness of slavery. And so this is where everyone would take a half a spoonful of the bitter herb and go on and put it on your plate or hold it in your spoon and we'll all eat it together. This bitter herb is designed to make you cry. It's designed to hurt. It's supposed to represent the bitterness of slavery. It's supposed to point us to the bitterness and pain of sin. On the count of three, okay, let me explain what's going to happen here. You're going to take a bite of this, and you're going to start chewing it, and you're going to think, that's not bad, what's he talking about? And then it's going to hit. On the count of three, one, two, three. I hope you got a good spoonful. Chew it up good. Anybody starting to feel the heat? The coughing signifies the heat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would anybody like some relief? 
Pick up your second cup. Say the prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. I will rescue you. Have some relief. Take a piece of your matzah bread and put a little bit of the applesauce on it. Even in the midst of bitterness, there is hope, there is relief, and have some of that applesauce on your bread. And if you need more relief from your drink, you can go ahead and have some more of your drink. Isn't it good? Isn't it good that the people of Israel would look back and suffer with their ancestors? And isn't it perfect that Jesus now is transforming this meal to allow us not to suffer with His ancestors, but be united to a person. Not to a people group, to a person. Jesus is explaining with His whole life and with this meal, there is a bitterness to sin we must have relief from. We must have something to cure us of the pain and the sadness and the tears that accompany not only the difficult life, but the bitterness and enslavement to sin that we all suffer from. This is where the rest of the meal would take place. And they would have all Jewish cuisine. And they would eat a lamb. After 70 AD, uh, Orthodox Jews no longer had a sacrificial lamb to eat because they could no longer sacrifice a lamb at the temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But I want you to notice in Luke chapter 22, Jesus didn't emphasize the lamb He emphasized the bread and the cup. It's almost as if he knew there would be no need for a sacrificial lamb after that night. I say he did. Luke chapter 22, we're going to catch up to where we are. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. After taking the cup, we did that, the first cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then they took the bread, and this is all under the second cup. It was during the meal, and he was supposed to say something like this. With this bread that had holes in it, had stripes on it, and is now dripping red wine, he's supposed to say something like this. This is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate when they came out of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, when they came out of slavery. He was supposed to invite others to come and participate. Whoever is hungry, let him come eat. Whoever is needing, needy, come celebrate Passover. But Jesus didn't do that. He changed it. He no longer said, this is the bread of affliction. He held it up. It's dripping. It has holes in it. And he said, this is my body. Luke chapter 22 says this, and he took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know how we all scrambled to take a piece of that bread to help relieve the pain? We all scrambled to take a drink of that cup to help relieve the pain. He's pointing us to the need and the desire that we have to have 
for Jesus to give us freedom. And he changes the entire meal to be about a person and not a people. But because he changes it to be about him, when we're connected this way, participating as the body in the bread, in the body, we start becoming a people of God. This is the new covenant and the new people of God in Jesus. After the second cup and the meal, they pour a third cup. This reenactment is pointing to what God is doing. Even in the Passover meal, go on and pour your third cup. Even in the Passover meal, even though it was connecting them to their ancestors, is also pointing to what God is doing among them. Now, he's connecting not to a people, but to a person, but it's still pointing to what God is doing among them. And this is called the cup of redemption. After the third cup, he's, they're all supposed to say together, I will redeem you. But that is not what Jesus says. He doesn't point us to what Exodus says, God will redeem them out of slavery. He points them to himself with his own person as redemption. In the same way, after the supper... They just completed the meal, but he's just emphasizing and making obvious the bread and the cup. After this, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is now saying the cup of redemption is me buying you out of slavery. And they would drink this third cup and they would say together, I will redeem you. Between the second and third cup, they would start singing. This is why the Passover meal would take several hours. There's the telling, there's the singing, there's the meal, there's the order the way it's supposed to go in. And because I am not a proficient in Passover, I missed it, got something out of order. But they would begin singing the Hillel Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118. It means praise. Where we get the word hallelujah comes from Hillel. And these psalms all start with praise, Yahweh, hallelujah. Hallel Yahweh, praise God. And so Jesus, after the second cup and after the meal, would have sung Psalm 113 and 114. Then they would go through the third cup, the redemption cup, and they would move to the fourth cup, and we're not sure if Jesus drank the fourth cup. This is the cup of hope, the cup of restoration, the cup of salvation, the cup of praise. But it does tell us that at the conclusion of the meal, they all got up and left and sang a hymn. When I was growing up, I was always curious, what hymn? If only we could know what hymn they sang. We do. They finished off the Hillel songs, and they sang Psalm 115 to Psalm 118 before they went to the garden. This is incredible. We can participate with Jesus. We can reenact this meal using physical elements to point us to and represent spiritual realities. See, the spiritual reality with the fourth cup, and we're not sure if Jesus drank this, the spiritual reality with the fourth cup is that God will take a people and make them his own. There's some Bible scholars that says this is the cup that's going to be had when we're in heaven. When we're eating at the meal with God, the wedding supper of the Lamb, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's found in Revelation. 
God is all about meals. He's all about eating with his people. He's all about inviting us in. And he communicates to us in beautiful ways. It's so difficult for a finite mind to understand an infinite God. And so God gives us all these ways to understand him in ways that we can understand. So he begins with creation. He says, just look at creation. The further out from the world you get, you can see a design that is there. And the smallest you can get with an atomic cell, uh, microscope, you can see a design. And then he goes, not only with creation, but he says, I'm going to send prophets among you who will tell you the words of God. I will give you my law that will tell you what I'm about and how to live among each other. Then he sent the word made flesh, Jesus. The exact representation of God to us. If we want to understand who God is, all we have to do is focus our attention on Jesus. And Jesus, to help us understand a little bit more, he changes this Passover meal that had been done for 1,500 years before he came and walked on the earth. And he changes it so it helps us understand him even more. The bread of affliction is now his body. And the cup of redemption is now his blood. Paul says this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says there's a spiritual reality connected to the physical elements that we participate in. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Later he says this, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, because there is one loaf, we who are many become one body, for we all share the same bread. Oh, I love how Paul is pointing this out. And it's amazing to me That when I participate in this Passover Seder, the order, and I hear the father of the table say, this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate coming out of Egypt. At no point do I think the bread becomes the actual bread from 1,500 years previous. But it does symbolize and connect me spiritually to what they participated in. And so when Jesus lifts it up and he transforms the meal to point to him and he says, this is my body, at no point do I think the connection that it actually became his flesh, but spiritually does connect us to him. And it's amazing to me that if you grew up in Catholicism and you grew up being trained that this body, this bread became his actual flesh and this cup actually became his blood, this Passover meal and the same thing we just went through reinforces the belief that it actually becomes the flesh and blood of Christ. But if you grew up Protestant and you were taught it was just a symbol, the elements we went through reinforces the belief that it symboli symbolizes and connects us spiritually to the body and blood of Christ, but doesn't actually become the body and blood of Christ. What I know is what the Scripture says. Paul says, don't you know 
that when you participate in the bread, you're participating in his body. When you participate in the cup, you participate in his blood. And I praise God for that. I don't think it gives us more grace. I don't think it gives us more salvation. I don't think that if you miss communion, you lose your salvation. But I do think there is a spiritual connection that happens during communion that is unlike any other time. And to me, it's the difference between me walking beside my father, holding his hand, and him picking me up and holding me in his arms. This is communion. The bread and the cup. And one day, soon, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather us all in. And we're going to celebrate with Christians from the beginning of time to the end of time. One meal with the Father. Marriage supper. I look forward to that day. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.